Hey, Josh Felber here from Making Bank. Super pumped, excited. Today's guest is going to blow your mind. Uh, we dive into a lot of amazing things. If you own a company, you're an entrepreneur, and you have one, two, five, 10, 20 people, how can you work with them to make sure they are optimizing at their best, high performance possible, as well as how do you grow your business? How do you go from six figures to a million to five million to a hundred million? Randy Garn is going to dive into that on this episode. And also too, guys, if you guys haven't checked it out, go check out Gratitude Gear, get your freedom gear, get your truth gear, get your gratitude quotes, the most softest, most comfortable clothes. Love gratitudegear.com. Printed and made here in the USA, shipped all over the world. So again, check out gratitudegear.com. You are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Super excited for today's guest. We've known each other off and on over the years, got to hang out, spend some time. He's an amazing person, human, father, entrepreneur. Excited to introduce you to this guy. Randy is a New York Times bestselling author, partner at High Performance Institute, and he's a passionate entrepreneur like you. His favorite things in the world are helping grow companies and people, as well as he works closely with some of the world's most recognized CEOs, companies, and experts. Randy has been awarded Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young and the Top 40 Under 40 Entrepreneur. He has also mastered the art of customer acquisition, marketing, sales, and how it relates to overall lifetime customer experience. And just like us, Randy is a serial entrepreneur, an investor, and a leader. He has founded numerous companies and also has led many to explosive growth. He is also an alumni of Brigham Young University and a graduate of the owner president management program, and an alumni of Harvard University, as well as Randy loves his wife, Charlotte, their four beautiful daughters, and their two rowdy twin boys, just like my own. So I'm excited to welcome Randy Garn to Making Bank. My man, what's up, Josh? It's so good to see you. How you doing, buddy? Good to see you. And excited to have you on the show. Finally, we were able to make this happen after a few, many months of your schedule and my schedule. <laughs> Well, I just, I'm so grateful that you've had me on. I just, I super, super appreciate you as a human. And I remember being in Miami with you and you sitting there with your daughter, helping her get your daughter, right? It's got yep. her. Well, yeah, she has the paleo pets, the, the little pet care yeah. business. Yeah. Yeah. The little paleo pets. And she's just so, so amazing. And seeing you inspire her and mentor her and help her is like, I mean, that's really what, what life is all about. How do we be great business leaders? How do we be great fathers? How do we be great mentors and especially to our kids, the ones that mean the most to us, you know? So I just, I appreciate your work and your example and your role model. For sure, man. Oh, I, and thank you for coming on the show. I, actually, my boys will be excited too. I was telling them we were interviewing and stuff and uh, a little bit ago and they're like, oh, we got to make sure we send Randy some of our gratitude gear. So they have like all their free gear. It's called like free and freedom gear and truth gear and gratitude quotes on t-shirts. So their company, gratitudegear.com is a super cool site and that they started like about a year or so ago. They were like trying to figure out something to do. Um, I love it. It's, it's gear for good, baby. That's it. Gear for good, man. Well, so there's probably maybe only like a tiny little fraction of the people out there that don't know who you are. 
but give us a little bit of your background because obviously you're an amazing human, entrepreneur and everything. But how did you get started? You know, was it way back when you were a kid? Is that when you got started as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So I, I mean, I think I've always had a little bit of a crazy spark in me. And I, I'm kind of one of those that don't like to have people tell me what to do, if you will. And so I'm sure I was a handful as a kid, but my, my dad is just such a stud and he's still alive today. He's 88 years old, still does a hundred pushups, hundred sit-ups every day. He's planning a farm right now out of, out of his place out in Idaho. And, uh, you know, he was a high school football coach for 33 years. So we'd literally say family prayers. We'd put our hands in the circle, go guards and get out. <laughs> but every, so he's a high school football coach. And then we had a cattle ranch and, Driving out there, we'd always put in Jim Rohn, you know, the psychology of winning by Dennis Waitley. We'd put in, you know, Earl Nightingale's Greatest Secret, Les Brown. I mean, all of the greats, if you can think of, like I'm seven, eight, ten years old and just right. flooding my mind with great things. And as well as him telling me, he's like, dude, you can be great. You're amazing. You know, he wasn't one of those dads that, that I mean, I was just fortunate. I know not everybody has that. But I did have a really, really amazing father as a role model. And I try to be a great father that way with my six kids and my wife. And, and so he really instilled that, that entrepreneurial spirit in me, if you will. And so I think from there, it just, it just came natural. No, that's super cool. And uh, I, as you kind of mentioned the whole drive and, you know, listening to the different audio programs and stuff and you know, now it's like you grab your phone and I just pop on Audible. And uh, when we drive to martial arts five days a week with the kids and, you know, they get to listen to an audio book and then we always chat about it and everything. And so, you know, trying to instill some of those, you know, different ideas and thoughts and things that they can take away and use, you know, in their life and, and everything. And so it's super cool way back when to see your dad doing that with you and everything as well. Yeah, um, and it just reminded me, like, when you're doing that with your daughter, that was like, what I'm trying to do with my kids, my 18 year old starting a jewelry school, you nice. know, she got a scholarship to college and she's like, dad, I, I don't know. I'm like, well, you might want to go take some good business classes, but she's already on her way. Like she knows she wants to create really high quality jewelry. And I was like, you know, I mean, that, that's the, I mean, I'm creating my kids to be like, I was. <laughs> and watching me do the same. It's, it's just super fun. Oh yeah, it is. I mean, it's fun. And you know, it's, we're not like, Oh, Hey, you know, you have to be, an entrepreneur, it's just like, cool, here's some yeah. different things that you can utilize in your life, whether it's like you said, you know, uh, with goals and, you know, trying to figure out stuff and, you know, learning, um, you know, through the different things you listen to from sales to, you know, how to market yourself. I mean, that's what they were teaching all the way, but way back when with Earl Nightingale and Les Brown and Dennis Waitley and all those guys. And, you know, and so having that now and being able to do the same thing and, you know, pay that forward as well is super awesome. What was for you, like, what was that, that first real business as you started? You kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit as a kid. You know, when was that like first thing that kicked off for you? Well, you know, I, uh, in between football practice and going out and feeding the cows and the horses and everything, we'd go out early. I, we'd always go fly fishing. And so my first thing was like, dude, there's tons of fishermen. I need to, I sold worms. I actually would go get worms. There's a whole process behind it that I won't bore the audience with today, but I literally was making some good money at like 11, 12, 13 years old doing worms. My dad would pay us five cents to go clear the fields, the hay fields, and we'd get five cents a rock, right? As we, we did those things. And that's how we paid for our, our, literally, that's how I paid for my school clothing was from that. Like he'd be like, how many rocks did you gather? Like, let's look at the pile. Let's count them up. 
And I mean, just understanding that, that how to use money and why it's important, I think is so lacking today. Um, For sure. So I'm trying to do that. But that, but the first real one was, was when I went to college out of necessity, I'm like, my gosh, like I gotta, I gotta figure out how to pay for my schooling. Um, you know, we, we, I grew up with six, you know, there were six kids in my family as well. And in and on a high school teacher's budget and running a farm and a ranch, you know, but at the same time, I was like, I, I actually, you know, it's interesting, Josh, even when I was young, I never, ever wanted to be a burden to my family. It's interesting that I actually thought about this on our take two was I always have had a desire to be self-sufficient. Mm. I've always had a desire to be able to create my own income and not have to want from anyone. Does that make sense? Like, sure. Even when I was young, I was like, I don't want to ask my parents for money. You know, I, I hear them at the table and being like, you know, we've got mortgage payments. My, you know, your sister's getting married and we're got to pay for that. So sorry, we can't have a newer car right now. We're trying to do this. So I, I think at a young age, I never, ever wanted to be a burden to my family. But I also, I think it was more than that. It was that I actually wanted to be self-sufficient and self-sustaining because I feel so much joy when I can create my own thing with my own hands and be like, dude, I, I did this by myself. I'm not getting any handouts from anybody. I wish our country, I wish everybody would have that mindset. And that's actually the entrepreneur mindset. I love creating jobs. I love doing right. that for people. But I, I think the sense of just like, I can create something and drive value and do things on my own, give me so much joy. No, I think that's super important. I mean, and it's interesting you mentioned that is you, you don't see that today. And I, you know, it's somehow it seems like it's got a lot of it's gotten lost over the years, especially now. I mean, like we're trying to hire and it's like, the people that used to be able to put out and get a hundred resumes of like A and B players, you get like C and D people now these days, mostly D. <laughs> you know, and it's like, where's everybody at? You know, why don't they want to work? You know, and then they want you know ten times the going rate for you know for for that type of position and stuff. And it's just amazing. I think if people came to it with that mindset, is like, hey, how can I help you? What value am I bringing to help you grow? And, you know, and kind of had that mindset and not, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. And that's how we're trying to raise our kids. It's not about them. It's what they can do and what value and how they can help other people. And that's how it sounds like you were brought up, um, you know, along your journey there. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's just like, you know, I, I spoke to about 500 people today and they're all, they're literally struggling with hiring people. So I talked about building high performance teams and, mm. And a lot of times, like, you don't need to be an entrepreneur. There, there are two things that I hit on. One, you, you don't need to be an entrepreneur. There's a lot of people that actually love being an entrepreneur, which is how to be innovative inside your own business and how to hire on people that are solution-oriented and not just see the problems, but actually can find the solutions to those. So how do you hire on people that are entrepreneurial? The second thing is, is I, I, and this is an important one to me, I try to never hire on somebody that's out of work. Is that, I mean, I will go recruit and try to find the best of the best because people are everything in your business. And sure. especially as an entrepreneur, if you want to be a solopreneur, I actually love teams. I'm a team player. Um, success is not, a, not an individual sport in my book. 
But there are people that just like, dude, I like to be my own consultant or a coach or whatever. I like to grow, I like to grow people. And so, so I never, I, my philosophy is on hiring and entrepreneurship is hire on people that drive value. I never look as an employee as a cost. Mm. It's really interesting. I never, ever look at like somebody that's working with me. I love the people I work with and I try to hire and try to work with my best friends. But if they're high, if I hire them on, they understand that they are to drive value and to drive revenues and to drive profits, no matter what the position is, is that is what they need to do. So I never, ever look at like somebody that's working with me as, you know, I look at them as people, they have families, they have that, but they understand that they're driving value and they're not a cost position. No, that, and that I think that's uh, super important these days. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur. You've owned a lot of different companies over the years. What have been, especially as you were a kid and then kind of moving into college and stuff, what were some of your biggest takeaways from those years that really helped you, um, you know, grow the companies and exit out and stuff that you've have have had over the last few years? You know, I, I look at, I remember when I was getting ready again to, to head to college, I remember walking down the big shag carpet stairway and my, my parents were upstairs. My room was up there and, we, and I walked down, my dad was down at the bottom of the stairs. And I remember when I, when he, you know, I got my bag, I'm heading off to college and, and, you know, and I've got a, I've got a daughter in college right now and another one getting ready for us. Like <laughs> I'm the same age. Like it was so, such an impression he, let, he grabbed my face and he grabbed my face and he looked at me and said, Randy, I want you to remember this. Like, if you don't have your own goals, someone else will use you for theirs. Mm. And he said it to me three times. He's like, <laughs> you don't have your own goals. Somebody else will use you for theirs. And I, from that day, I've actually been a really big journaler. And if people know me, they understand like I'm super, super big on business and life strategy. Mm. You know, money is super, super important to me. But what's more important are my friendships, my relationships and my partnerships. That's what drives the most joy and fulfillment for me is building a massive, awesome company, but that you're doing it with people that you love, like and respect and that you don't scorch earth on the way and just be like, yeah, I had success. Me, me, me. I had success. I literally love doing it with a really just awesome group of people. And my, my philosophy was that is like align yourself with people that have your best interest, you know, cheer each other on. I cheer the loudest for my partners. I cheer the loudest for my friends. You know, I really don't believe in working a second of my day now because there has been some times where I work with some people that was all about money. And, and at the end of the day, I wasn't happy for three years and, you know, they're highly successful, but like scorched earth on all the way down. So I try to just, now I'm, I'm getting older. We've been through some stuff. We're wiser now. And for me, it's now aligning myself with people that I love to cheer on, that I want to be with, that I love, like, and respect that are competent. So I'll only now work with my best friends. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, and that's interesting that you said that is how do you manage that, you know, if say you, you know, you go into business with a best friend and stuff, I mean, how do you manage that and the, the dynamics and, you know, and the challenges and stuff that come along with that? I think, I mean, it, it comes down to, and I learned this from Tyler Norton as is to, it's three things. It's U, A, C, understand, 
agree and commit mm. and just have super, super, super. It's like with what we teach, you know, with what we teach on uh, with the books right here on high performing habits with Brendan, the yep. number one thing is to, to seek clarity. Sure. And, and you've got to have super, super good clarity. Like a lot of my friends, they know what my weaknesses are. They also know what my strengths are. And so that's also a super, super good thing. And as long as you align those up with what that, the value that you bring, and it is, it's just being super, super clear. And even though you're working with your best friends or family or whatever, have things in writing, make right. sure that make sure there's no ambiguity and just make sure that there's super high trust and that there's super high forgiveness and the understanding that do none of us are perfect. Then it becomes super fun to do together. But I think just complete clarity, complete alignment and understanding and agreeing and then being all in and committing, it's the best thing ever. So. Yeah. It's, you know, I think a lot of times the, um, the clarity part gets lost and, you know, you, you think you're communicating and, and, but it's not. And then you, as you step back, you're like, Oh man, I guess I could have been more clear, more, you know, uh, upfront about whatever that, topic might've been and stuff, you know, when you run into challenges and things. Well, and I, and I do, I think that, but the, the clearer you are, that's why you have to write it down, honestly, mm. because there's been too many times too, where I've, there's been like total misunderstandings. It's like grasshopper, great on takeoff. You never know where it's going to land. And if you don't write it down, then it's also easy to like move the goalposts. Sure. Like, I know we agreed to this then, but things have changed. It's okay to do that as long as you get it back in writing again, right? Right. And, and it's it's healthy to have those crucial comments. Radical candor, radical candor in every relationship is the very best. And I, I'll tell you, I haven't always been the best at that. I've let people take advantage. No, I mean, yep. I am so I am pretty kind and I'm pretty nice and I do want the best for everybody. So it has lent or to be taken advantage is because I'm such a giver, dude. My, my the other thing my dad said is do as much as you can for as many people as you can, as often as you can and expect it, nothing in return. Mm, but yeah. I can give and I give and I give, but if there is value now, I really think that law of reciprocity is come, coming back in big fold. It's why we know each other, you know? Yeah. So I think that just radical candor and allows you to be a great giver too. So that's, that's what I'm, I'm actually really super good at that now through, through different circumstances. And it's, I mean, it's your, it's something to always work on and, you know, you got to continue to, you know, build off of each of those uh, pieces to be better every day. What have been some of your biggest challenges growing a business, exiting a business, or I guess, you know, just that you've encountered, you know, through your entrepreneurial career. I know it's kind of vague, but I guess something that really stands out to you, you're like, man, somebody's got to know this. <laughs> you know, I mean, some of the, some of the biggest challenges are, I think for anybody is to continually learn. You have to stay sharp. I mean, you think about prime, you think about primal life, like just think about eight years from now, how much marketing has changed and how sure. much has changed. And so I think the biggest challenge that a lot of people face and you know, a really good, a really, really awesome book and a good mentor of mine, like Rob Ryan wrote a book called Smart Ups, but it's how to continue to ideate and innovate and to put together, I'm really, really good at business formulation and strategy. Like that's what I love more than anything is, that's why I'm on 
several pretty amazing boards. I mean, I don't need to be on stage or do that, but I love, I'm an integrator at heart and I'm mm. a business strategist, strategist at heart. So I think the thing that I've learned the most is that if you stop innovating, you are dead. And right. I saw that happen with one company that I invested in is that they got super, super, you know, stuck in their model. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and gyms weren't happening anymore. Right. So like, just go after gyms. That's the only thing I'm like, you can't just be singularly focused because it will crush you. And so, but that's again, who saw COVID happening? So <laughs> but then I know companies that like, I mean, I've actually been some of the best financial years ever is because I know how to innovate now. So I think, you know, as I learned early on in our years is, is that, again, the Calvary's not coming. Nobody's coming to save you. If things change and alter, like I remember back when we had over 600 employees at our company and all of a sudden kind of the same thing, like anthrax hit and 9-11 hit and all these things, external forces of your business, you got to be able to be nimble. You got to be able to innovate and you just have to know as an entrepreneur, you got to be ready for that stuff. All of the events shut down back in our in the day. They were 100% of our lead flow. So what did Ethan and I do? We buckled in and became the world's best at internet marketing and online marketing. This was back BG. This was back before Google. Like yeah. We got super, super good at, at uh, email marketing. And become some, we became some of the best at it. But that was through necessity, right? Like we could have given up and been like, sorry, guys, we don't know how to do leads anymore. But we decided to do that. That's actually what made our company so successful is because we weren't relying upon anybody else giving us leads. We could do leads, sales, marketing, fulfillment, accounting. And we, we put together the whole process from start to finish, which wouldn't have happened unless something devastating would have happened. So mm. I, think, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is you've got to continue to ideate. You've got to continue to innovate. And you have to make that part of your business strategy. Yeah, this, you know, and as you mentioned, I mean, all the different things with 9-11 and anthrax and those, you know, and, and with COVID, it's, it forces you to either change or you're going to go out of business or adapt and, and you know, make those, um, uh, those adjustments and everything that are needed. And, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I remember back in, even at 9-11, I owned one of the biggest dish network direct TV installation sales and installation companies. And we were spending tens of thousands of dollars on TV for running TV ads. And then when nine 11 hit, it's like everybody quit buying satellite systems. <laughs> You're like, it's like, what the heck? So we had to turn around and try to innovate and market online. Like you said, before Google and before all those kind of things to try to generate leads and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, definitely being able to, be nimble and pivot like that and, you know, have that flexibility to understand and make those changes, I think is super important, like you said, to business growth and, you know, where you're going and everything. Yeah, it's, it's a must. I think, I mean, Meg Whitman, who's around HP and eBay, she says, you know, they basically every six months they're, they're continually changing. And so you, I think it's, it's a necessary thing. And I think as things speed up, like as technology changes, as, Solutions change as platforms change. You know, look at Netflix. They're getting like, I, I used to always talk about, I used to always talk about, you know, I can't remember the name. What was the big movie company before? It was a. Uh, oh, the Blockbuster guys. Blockbuster. Yeah. Blockbuster, <laughs> then Redbox, then Then Netflix. Redbox. Man, right. What was Netflix stock yesterday? It's getting crushed. It's getting crushed. Yeah. I mean, so who's coming in and taking that market share? Did they not innovate? Did they, did they like, I mean, 
just think about that. They're like, they're now part of their own, they're part of the own story. So right. you, yeah. you have to be as an entrepreneur, you've got to always be fighting that. You got to stay on top of your game. You got to stay on your A game all the time and, or bring people in that know how to do that. No, that's for sure. It's, you know, and obviously Netflix is getting pounded because of their woke, woke direction of their leadership. So you got to look at who's always leading the company and, you know, and obviously if it's not in the right direction, you can replace them as well too. It's decision-making that it's like, what's best for the shareholders is not always best for what that, you know, what they think. So you gotta, you gotta all be wise. What more can I say? So. Right. Earlier, we were kind of talking a little bit about on um, uh, teams and hiring people and things like that. And obviously, you said teams is something you really love, and that's where you thrive at and everything else. Today, you know, with companies, whether they're small and they may have five people in their team or 50 people in their team or 500 people in their team, like you've had, what have you found to be the best way to, uh, you know, grow teams, to create culture and teams and, and just really make them thrive? You know, I think, I think for me is you, you've got to find the right people. And like I was saying earlier too, I never, never, ever hire on somebody that's out of work. Right. That, that if you do hire on somebody, they should be a revenue producer. And I think we talked about that a little bit, but I think for a high performance teams, it's one are they committed to excellence is a question I always ask at, at hiring. Mm. Is your team committed to excellence? Because high performers hate low performers. It drives them nuts. Right. They have to do everything that they can. And, and any company, you have to have a really good online, you have to have a good marketer, you have to have sales, you have to have financing, you have to have a great legal person, and then you have to have somebody that's the entrepreneur and the innovator to help bring that all together. That's like, that's like, that's a five-legged awesome stool. If finance is weak and legal is weak, then you're going to be a little wobbly. But if you want a solid, solid company, and you don't need to be huge. You don't need to be – I mean, you could have a $20 million company that's highly, highly profitable, or you could have a $2 billion company. What's the difference between all that? It's complete leadership and high-performance team. What, what is the difference between a $4 million company – a $40 million company, a $400 million company, and a $4 billion company. It's complete strategy combined with the right people. And it's that leadership and it's the people that come in every, every single day. And that's what I love. I, they, everybody calls me Coach Garn because I love building up great leadership teams. I love building up huge, amazing executive teams. And I'll work with some of the most world-renowned CEOs. Be like, they'll talk with me about how they become high-performing, both professionally and personally. You know, a lot of them have scorched earth with their families and need help. And so, for you to have really good teamwork, you got to be, you got to have good, you got to have a good team that that's both good and on and off the field. For my, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's that's super key. You know, with with that is so teams are one part of that. What would you say like that are the two next biggest things? And maybe it's different for each level, but you know, you're going from five million to ten, ten to twenty, twenty to fifty, fifty to a hundred. Like, how do you go from that to be that hundred million dollar team? What does that back end need to look like, or you know, that structure, that process? Yeah, I mean, you you 
you really have to be, again, you have to find the right people to right. be able to do that. Are there, because you, your company really grows to the competency of your, it really grows to the competency of the leadership team. And for that, you have to be super good at, that really comes down to two things. A lot of companies are super good at marketing, super, super good at marketing and sales. And that's demand creation and their demand fulfillment is kind of lacking. So the mm-hmm. product and service needs help. There's other companies that I meet with all the time. They're super, super good at demand, ful- that demand fulfillment. Their product is amazing. Like it's world-class. This can cure cancer. I mean, this actually can change everything. I mean, I can't tell you how many companies like if people just knew about us, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, you and I both know it's, it's matching those two up together where your demand fulfillment, I mean, your demand creation is matched and aligned with your demand fulfillment. And all of a sudden it comes together and you get the roar and the applause of the customer. Mm. And that's so critical nowadays as I try to help those teams match demand creation with demand fulfillment, because that's when you know you have a $10 million, $20 million company if you can continue to do that and then learn how to scale it and keep that same consistency and that same quality at the same time as the company scaling. That is a good CEO. That's real art. That's real business growth. And what do you think the kind of like that main key thing for the CEO at that level that they should be focused on? They, the, I mean, honestly, a really, really good CEO should be focused on building up his team. The team, he yeah, be, how, like hiring, building the team, and that's and their only I mean, job. He should just care about those five to seven reports that are that are reporting to him and helping build them up with skill set. You know, how are they doing mentally? How are they doing? at home? How are they doing? Like, what can I do to support you? Like, like a really, really good CEO, like cheers for his team. He Mm -hmm. highlights his team. He loves his team. He wants everybody to win. Like nobody, nobody else in the entire world. He wants them all to win together in a big way. That's what a really, a really good CEO builds amazing teams. That's, that's a really, really amazing company. And there's several that I know of that I love, like, and respect that I look up to that that's all they do is they like, they love their executive team more than anything. That's awesome. Guys, I hope you guys are really listening to what Randy's talking about today. Whether you're a one man company to a five to a 50 man, you know, company, he's dropped a lot of different amazing insights on different things about building your team. Uh, you know, making sure you have the right high performance people on your team, obviously like high performers, you know, we, we get that it's a challenge to work with people that are not high performers. And, and so we got We want to make sure we have that same alignment on the team. So everybody's growing, make sure you guys go back, listen to this again, watch this again, take those notes and really listen to what he's saying. And then go take and execute on that. One thing you're like, Oh man, I was hoping Josh was going to talk to me about this, but we didn't get to talk about it today. Or you're just like, I really got to let talk to and share, share this with everyone before we wrap up. Uh, what's just something you want to let everybody know. You know, I, I think as you, as you go through life, your greatest joys and your greatest sorrows will come within the walls of your own home. And so I think, I think maintaining really high performance means to perform consistently over the long run while maintaining well-being, which is mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, and positive relationships. So I think that I, I want everybody listening here is that always remember that people are always going to be more important than things at the end of the day. Mm. As soon as you forget that, 
then you, it's hard to be a high performer because it's not, it's the most important. It's like, what do people say about you behind your back? It's not who you know, it's who knows you and what they think about you. So think about that, that people are more important than things, your reputation, you know, that's where your most value is going to come from is that just, just ensure that you, you, you be careful with burning too many bridges as you go through your career. Cause I think that's where I'm finding the saddest people that have a lot of wealth, but don't have a good health and don't have deep, meaningful relationships. So that's, I'm going to leave it on that, man. People are more important than things. That's awesome. Uh, and then just last, I mean, what drives you every day? What gets you up in the morning and you go to bed happy? <laughs> <laughs> so I journal every night and I write down five things that I must do. And if I've done that at the end of the day, I literally, I wake up at five 30 every morning and I go to bed, I get in bed at 10 30 every night. And that from nine, nine, you know, nine 30 to, to 10 to 10 30, that's when I journal mm. for me is if I did what I told myself I was going to do and I spent time with my kids and I gave it everything I got, I do love to squeeze the drop out of every juice of life. I really do. If I can sit down at night and I, and I accomplished those five things and I gave it my all and I did my best and I lived excellent. That's what keeps me pumped and joyous. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's cool. Cause I always see you out there fly fishing with your kids or your wife or your daughters and, uh, and everything and, you know, hiking and doing all those fun things out there where you live. So that, that's, that's always awesome. And, you know, uh, lead from example. And so that's super cool. Uh, so it was an honor to have you on the show, Randy. Super awesome to have you here sharing some insights and some amazing information. And I uh, just really appreciate your time today. Well, you're a stud, Josh. Grateful for uh, making bank and the opportunity to share. Let's uh, go get some primal life, everybody, too. It's, a, it's some good stuff. Cool, man. Uh, I'm Josh Felbert. You are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.